0: Today, we are proud to present this live special taping of Sing for Science bonus episode about brain plasticity. Please give a warm welcome to musician Kilo Kish, neuroscientist Dr. Wendy Suzuki,
1: and the show's host, Matt White. Please, welcome. If you want to change your brain, the best and easiest thing to do is learn something new. As humans, we have this capacity to learn new things across our entire lifetime. And that is because of an amazing brain structure called the hippocampus. Can't teach
2: new tricks to an adult. Ride around the strip in an old car. Teach new tricks to an adult. Never with a leash, of will be a dog. Been around the block, but you missed ya. Never sit and stay for a picture.
0: Never write a tale with a picture. Lick it till lap and then lick ya. Welcome to Sing for Science, the show where musicians and scientists talk about music and science. I'm your host, Matt White. Each week, we'll talk about a song by our guest artist and how it connects with our guest scientist's area of expertise. Today, we'll be speaking with multidisciplinary artist and performer, Kilo Quiche. Quiche has collaborated with everyone from Gorillaz to Childish Gambino and earned heaps of praise from Pitchfork, The New York Times, and Vogue. Her latest single is called New Tricks, Art, Aesthetics, and Money. And The song's hook is built around the expression that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Also joining us is NYU neuroscientist Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Wendy is recognized as one of the top researchers in her field and is the best-selling author of the book Healthy Brain, Happy Life. Her 2017 TED Talk on the brain-changing benefits of exercise has more than 55 million views, and she continues to work to spread the understanding of how we can use principles of brain plasticity to transform our lives for the better. The title of today's episode on the podcast is New Tricks, How the Brain Can Reshape Itself in Response to Its Environment. Hello, Kilo, Keish, and Wendy. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hello. Thanks for having us.
0: So, I'd like to start out, and and though we're just talking about this one line in particular, I want to say that this song has such incredible lyrics, just start to finish.
2: Thank you. So,
0: I I would like to hear more about kind of what informed it and what's it about, how it came together.
2: Yeah, so Nutrix is really just about not wanting to conform to the need to create so much content as an artist. I feel like in the past couple of years, the need for content has just like skyrocketed. And it's been tough to kind of keep up with the need to be constantly posting or to keep delivering snippets or TikToks or every potential you know, platform. It's kind of daunting. So I kind of made a song just about my frustration with that and the need for artists to constantly produce.
0: Right. And as an independent artist, yeah. it's like all falls on your shoulders to produce.
2: Yeah, it can be a lot, especially you have your work that you need to make, of course, like your music. And then there's like the additional level of so much more things just to get people to be able to see it and pay attention. So it, it kind of becomes just a little bit draining.
0: <laughs> so when you say in the hook, you say you can't teach new tricks to an old dog. How does that tie into that pressure to create more and more content? Or what were you trying to convey when you came up with that lyric?
2: Well, I think I just wanted to have some of the purity of the old way of making art or not Mm -hmm. needing to have it be, you know, also marketed in such a intense way or being able to enjoy some of the process and be able to have my time to really think about what I'm doing and not be so focused on the output of it. And so in that way, I'm kind of like an old dog that kind of likes the, <laughs> the pure way of just creating and not needing it to be a whole social media thing.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. And I, I think you're positioned uniquely. And I, I read an interview with you in the Creative Independent because because you're a multidisciplinary artist and you're able to move around from one medium to the next you had said something in that interview, uh, which really struck me, and it was about how you were, you could explain this better, of course, but like you you're able to detach a little bit easier, you know, so like you could move from one mode of creating to another, perhaps and that may alleviate some of the pressure. Am I getting that right?
2: yeah, I think because like I've learned to kind of do all of my creative on my own. Like, I direct my videos, and I write the music, and then I'll do the artwork, and styling, and all of that. So, Mm. I kind of bounce between the different parts Mm. of the project. Um, So, I guess it does, to me, they kind of inform each other. Like, I don't play instruments, but I do know, like, that crafting album artwork, or graphic design teaches you how to craft kind of, like, how things should feel and I can use that in music mm-hmm. you know I can un, if you can understand space visually you can probably understand space in music yeah so I kind of use them in that way back and forth
0: well for whatever it's worth and I could sound as if I'm totally full of shit but it just like when I first heard that song I almost like experienced it visually there's kind of like a collage like palette to it you know there's like some dubstep you're rapping you're singing and Like we were talking about earlier sometimes you rhyme sometimes you don't like it's like kind of a a collage you know and maybe because i knew that you were also a visual artist it just seemed like one that was informing how you performed it you know in the recording
2: yeah usually with my music i'll come up with like the album title for the project first and then i get like a visual idea of what i want it to look like and then i'll start making the music after Mm. so So it doesn't always start with music, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, I have an idea for a video, what kind of song would fit this? So sometimes it's like working, I guess, backwards.
0: Okay. So let's get back to this lyric that brought us all here, which is, you can't teach new tricks to an old dog. And Wendy, I'm going to venture to guess that you disagree.
1: Yes. Or at least Strongly. It, I strongly yeah. disagree. At
0: least as it applies to humans or rats.
1: <laughs> That's right. Okay. So while I love the song, it's absolutely clear that we as humans have this lifelong capacity to keep learning new things, dependent on the structure that I introduced a, a little while ago called the hippocampus. Um, it is critical for a particular form of um, new learning, that is new learning of facts and also events. So our memory of this event with uh, uh, with the music clip and where you're sitting and the stories that are being told, all of that is going to be remembered by us because we all have working hippocampi. And so this works all the time. So it's not true that you can't.
0: Right. Take- cause, so that's a fallacy because I felt like when I was growing up, they just said that like you stop making neurons once you become an adult, but... That's
1: well, that's, that is almost totally true. Okay. Uh, except in one place, or two places. One of the places is the hippocampus. Okay. So all of us have brand new brain cells, shiny new brain cells being born in the hippocampus, a structure critical for your ability to form new, new memories for facts and events. So I'm going to tell you the secret to get even more brain cells in your hippocampus, shiny new brain cells, and that is... Physical activity, moving your body actually stimulates the release of a growth factor called brain-derived neurotrophic factor that goes directly to your hippocampus and um, encourages even more brain cells to grow and integrate and then start working in your hippocampus. So um, it also, uh, there's also new brain cells that get born in your olfactory bulb, but that doesn't help. Uh, exercise doesn't help with that. So um, except for these two brain areas, there are no new neurons born in the brain, but you get new brain cells in my favorite brain structure the hippocampus.
0: Where where is the hippocampus in our skull?
1: The hippocampus is deep in the temporal lobe, which which is right behind the ear, but it's deep towards the middle of the brain. It's called the medial or middle part of the temporal lobe. And you have one on your right-hand side of your brain and one on the left, in the left hemisphere.
0: And So why did we evolve to have two hemispheres?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's no clear answer to that. But the truth is that our whole body is paired, you know, right mm. side, left side of the brain, right and left eye. And it is a way to better organize information specifically from one part of the brain to one part of your body.
0: So when we're talking about brain plasticity, we're, we're talking primarily about memory formation, or at least that's the best instance
1: So brain plasticity refers to the ability of the brain to form new circuits or to change its circuitry is is the basic definition. Mm -hmm. But there's actually two flavors of brain plasticity. There's positive brain plasticity, where new circuits are formed, new things are learned, among many other things. But there's also negative brain plasticity. So if there is stress associated with all the Instagram posts that you have to do and all the TikToks you have to do, uh, stress, anxiety uh, can actually lead to negative brain plasticity, the uh, uh, destruction of, of uh, um, dendrites and circuits in your brain. So, you know, you have to be careful. There are things that can benefit your brain, like exercise. Mm-hmm. There are things that can be very detrimental, like high levels of stress, anxiety.
0: So like a feedback loop of negative self-talk, would that's how you'd classify that?
1: Uh, you know, stress, stress is, there's so many different things that, that cause stress uh, in your life, uh, physical threats, uh, worry about threats that might happen, um, all those things that can lead to that stress response, that fight or flight response, uh, and we all have that, that's part of our natural kind of protective mechanism, but if you have it high for a very, very long time, that's when you can start to get negative effects and negative brain plasticity to affect your brain structures.
0: Right. And you make a really important point in the book, which is that physiologically our brain, we don't know how to distinguish between whether or not like there is a, a bear uh, about to attack us or we have a research paper due or something.
1: Right. Right. So worry about that oncoming event or, or global warming or, or a virus that might get us that worry can act uh, the same way as the real threat. If we did have the virus there to, or or bear there to actually Mm. attack us. That is, um, uh, you'd think our brain would have evolved to work better than that, but but Mm. it hasn't. And that has caused significant rise in our level of both depression and anxiety um, since the pandemic started.
0: So is there any evidence to suggest that as we evolve, that we would be able to distinguish between like a real life threatening situation and something that is kind of momentary stress
1: yeah i mean i think as we personally evolve and think about you know um um, am i going to let worry over this Mm -hmm. thing that may or may not happen uh, you know take over my life Mm -hmm. one can learn not to have those kinds of things have such a big effect yes there's there's definite uh, you know that's what therapists are are good for
0: yeah right of course (laughs) So you were talking earlier about the importance of exercise and how you can improve brain plasticity. What are some other key points? Because so much of Wendy's work is devoted to helping us uh, self-improve with better understanding of of brain plasticity. So please give us a primer about how we can use it. Sure.
1: So I'm going to outline my top three approaches to get better brain plasticity. Number one, we already started with exercise, because it literally grows brand new cells in your hippocampus. That's all you should need right now, just to go out and, and start walking. You don't have to run a marathon, just start walking more. That can that can improve. Exercise also improves the release of neurotransmitters that can make your anxiety levels decrease, your depression levels decrease, your hostility levels decrease. I did a study over the pandemic that looked at subjects between the ages of 25 and 95, and looking at the effects of 30 minutes of age-appropriate physical activity in all groups from the 20s to the 90s, decreased anxiety levels, depression levels, and hostility levels. So that is a very, very powerful effect. That's just one intervention, physical activity. Number two is meditation. Meditation is a practice of working the attentional function of your prefrontal cortex. We know it has significant ability to decrease anxiety and stress levels that are very, very helpful. And in long-term practitioners, uh, meditation practitioners, we see physical changes in the prefrontal cortex, not necessarily new cells being born there, but it looks like there's more synapses, uh, which increases the size of these, these prefrontal areas. And then the third amazing tool to think about if you want to bring more positive brain plasticity in your life is mindset, the power of mindset, which is basically your belief system. And here's my favorite story about mindset. This was a study done by Alia Krum, a famous psychologist at Stanford. She went into those big hotels with hundreds of floors And in one big hotel, she went in and told the hotel workers that are changing the sheets and cleaning the rooms, she said, actually, the Surgeon General did a study on your level of activity and identified that you're actually working more than the average that you need to be healthy. You're you're doing a really good job. And the other same high rise, they told them some innocuous thing about work hours. Three months later, the group of people that had been told that their level of activity was approved by the Surgeon General. They lost more weight, they had a lower hip-to-waist ratio and better job satisfaction. That is, their belief system, their mindset, Changed their physiology. And that is so helpful in our era of high levels of anxiety and depression and worrying about all these different things. What you believe in and and how you view the world changes your physiology and can change your brain anatomy as well. So exercise, meditation, and mindset.
0: Can you paint a picture? Like what does that actually look like? inside the brain? Yeah. Like when, when we're talking about neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. when we're talking about creating new pathways and changing your brain anatomy under the microscope or yeah. however you see it, what does that look like?
1: Well, I mean, the most dramatic picture is going back to the hippocampus because moving your body, physical activity will release this growth factor that goes directly to the hippocampus. And there is this neuroregeneration zone in the hippocampus where little brand new shiny hippocampal cells are being born. Some of them die, but with high levels of this growth factor, these little shiny uh, hippocampal cells grow, and they integrate, and they start to form circuits. What are those circuits doing? They're helping you form new memories. And by the way, the other critical thing that the hippocampus does is that it helps with imagination. Because you're not only remembering things from your past, but if you have damage to the hippocampus, there have been shown to be significant impairments in being able to imagine a situation that you've never been in. So all of your beautiful work in putting together everything from the visual world, from the movement world, from the music world, and putting them together in a way that has never been put together before, you're using your hippocampus to be able to do that. And so what it looks like is you know, you you end up with a bigger fatter, fluffier hippocampus, if you take my Mm. recommendation to move more, and that will not only get you better memory, but better ability to put together things in your mind together better for your art or for science. I mean, science is a great creative art as well. How long does it take to
2: see the results of, like, exercise and stuff on the brain? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I've been trying to understand that. And so we looked at low-fit participants, people that were exercising less than 30 minutes a week, and we asked them to exercise between two to three times a week, 45 minutes, we gave them free spin classes. And we found in three months, 12 weeks, significant improvements in their hippocampal function, in their memory function, changes in their improvements in their mood and their body image. So I haven't proven that that's the lowest amount, but 12 weeks of changing your physical activity can lead to significant brain changes.
0: And when you talk about a fluffier hippocampus, does that mean heavier? Like your brain gets heavier?
1: It means larger in size. So with more brain cells there, it makes it basically more dense. And Mm -hmm. if you look on structural images of the hippocampus, it is bigger. And uh, I just use the term fluffy because it's fun. And it's a clinical term.
0: (laughs) Could you give just a a rundown of where everything is in the brain?
1: Okay, where everything (laughs) is in the brain. The whole banana, (laughs) where is it? Okay, so let's just go from, very quickly, the different lobes, okay? Mm -hmm. So right behind your forehead is the frontal lobe, which is also benefiting from exercise, meditation. It is where mindset is working to change your belief system. Mm -hmm. It's also called the executive functioning unit of the brain. Right behind that is the parietal lobe, parietal lobe, together with the frontal lobe, really important for decision making. So it's the area right behind the um, frontal lobe, back here. It's also involved in um, visual spatial function. So if you have damage to the parietal lobe of your right parietal lobe, you start ignoring everything on the left side of your world. So if I had damage to my left parietal lobe, somebody might be uh, raising their hand for me to answer. And I could see them visually, but I would completely ignore them. And patients also famously ignore, they don't eat everything on the other side of the plate where they have damage to the parietal lobe occipital lobe is in the back of the brain very easy primary visual cortex is back there ever wonder why you see stars when you hit the back of your head on something it's because you're physically stimulating your primary visual cortex and you're like knocking it with a oh, wow. um, with with whatever the table yeah and then the final lobe is the temporal lobe, which is below a frontal, parietal, occipital, and it sits right below the ear, and that is where higher visual function is and where the hippocampus is mm. that we've been talking about in the amygdala, critical for um, emotion and threat detection.
0: As it concerns threat detection, like if quiche if is experiencing the kind of stress that we described, yeah. or what I'm assuming is that is is stressful to produce, and create new content. I, I remember from your book, you deal a little bit with the effect of, of stress on creative operation. And yeah. So how would you test for that?
1: When you get stressed. And, yeah. and there's lots of ways to measure stress. The simplest way is your electrical capacity on your skin because you tend to get all sweaty. Mm. Uh, and so that's a very common stress response. When you're stressed, the amygdala gets, gets involved. And so while it's hard to shove somebody in an fMRI magnet to yeah. see whether your amygdala is involved, you could easily measure, are you sweating? In my class at NYU, I do a stress example where uh, I have a student come and put their hand on the table. And um, I have a hammer. And I bang the table right next to their hand. And then when they take their hand off, there's this big sweat mark there. And so we have the other students determine, can you tell whether the student was stressed or not? It works every time. That it's is, very effective. <laughs> like, that is cruel. I, I, I don't hit their hand. On the,
0: on the other side of that, how could you test for the improvement of creative function or like in, you know, in the absence of stress?
1: I mean, that's a very interesting question. I don't know if anybody's tested that. I mean, how would you test that? Would I have to come and measure how, how many songs you produce yeah. in an hour? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I don't know exactly how you would test it, but to what you were saying, like I do believe that exercise definitely helps in those types of situations. Mm-hmm. It's like being able to leave out of your house and like stop what you're doing for a second and getting your head out of the minutia of all of that creating, it really does help to center things, at least for me. And also what you said, and we were talking about backstage, Mm -hmm. like mindset regarding how you're seeing things, it's great to get your frustrations out, but then remembering like, oh, this is stressing me out because I really care about this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is stressing me out because it's something that's important to me. And then like reframing it in a way to where you're like, oh, okay, I can go back to this with a different attitude.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that part of your process when you write or record? Do you exercise or meditate or anything?
2: I try to meditate. I'm not the greatest at it, but I'm like working at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I definitely like to work out and I do have to reframe things. Mm -hmm. Some things, obviously, there are tons of things that you don't feel like doing, but Mm -hmm. then you're like, okay, how do I get myself in the right headspace to do this?
0: So, I mean, you're basically saying, like, when you incorporate movement that it actually helps open up room for new ideas.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you're releasing not just dopamine and serotonin and noradrenaline and and, um, endorphins, which I like to call the neurochemical bubble bath that you give your brain every Mm. single time you actually move your body. But the growth factors are also being released. That basically makes your hippocampus work better as well.
0: Exercise, exercise, exercise. Yes. Okay. Well, we're out of time, but I can't thank you both enough for being here. This has been incredible. Thank you so much.
2: Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank everybody.
0: Be sure to check out Kilo Keisha's new album, American Girl, out March 25th. And Wendy's latest book, Good Anxiety, harnessing the power of the most misunderstood emotion. Sing for Science is co-produced by TalkHouse and is made possible in part by support from Science Sandbox, an initiative of the Simons Foundation. Music is by Panoram, medium by Ottavio Media and Bailey Constas, and press by TCB Public Relations. Special thanks to Thing New York and Dr. Joseph Ledoux for their help with today's episode. Listen to Sing for Science on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on social media, at Sing for Science. Once again, please give it up for Dr. Wendy Suzuki and Kilo Kish. Thank you.